Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Darren McCormick of Canada is a cannabis oil maker from Nova Scotia who was arrested and jailed by police in late August of this year. For a number of years, he has grown cannabis and gifted the oil to help others with their various health issues. And he joins us on the line to tell his story. Darren, good of you to do this. We appreciate it. Oh, not a problem. Anything I can do to help out. Now, before we get into your arrest last month, tell us the story of how you became a cannabis oil maker. It actually started when I was visiting a friend of mine. Uh, he knew Rick Simpson personally, and Rick had dropped. Well, while I was there visiting, Rick dropped in and started going on about how he, he was discovered, rediscovered this cure for cancer. And geez, I bet you we talked about two hours before he up and left. Now, personally, I thought the guy might have had a head injury, or there was something wrong here with the guy. If this, if it was something this simple, we'd know about it, right? Well, down the road a little bit. I start bumping into people who've been cured by this method, as in I know they, were, you know, I knew they were dying, and you know, you see them a couple months later, and they're as healthy as can be, and they turned it to the oil. But it had to be all kept quiet; no one wants to get busted and stuff. Well, geez, I end up meeting Rick. I had to go up and see it again, and talk to him. Well, I'm a grower, so what I was doing is I was growing, you know, like someone. I heard about someone with cancer. I, you know, give them material required, give them Rick's name and number. You get in touch with him, he and he cooked the oil up for them. That way, I could, you know, I didn't have to travel much, and uh, I was chipping in. And geez, I was watching people get better. It was just amazing. Geez, even during uh, my last trial, as a Supreme Court judge, stayed on the record. Even with three prior convictions for cultivation. Darren McCormick is not a drug dealer. He's not a member of the drug trade. It's my association with Phoenix Tears. Now, every one of us pretty much got busted multiple times, and it's been brutal on us. Now, I got a Supreme Court judge also accepting the historical use of the plant in his decision he wrote since Neolithic times. He's accepted the medical value, as in that it's an effective treatment for some forms of cancer, and I've used terminal stage 4 lung cancer as an example during the trial. He's also accepted the biblical references, God giving Moses directions on how to make the oil to be used on the per- person's flesh. That's from cannabis. So there it is on the you know, Supreme Court decision. So last year, I grew, I think it was 160 plants. But I was really, you know, I'd been injured that spring, so I was really late getting started. And I only cured 50 people. This year... I had two, a little over 200 in, and geez, I know for a fact we would have been able to cure at least 150. And it just bothers me. I'm sort of devastated where this. That's what bothers me the most, I should say. Darren, I just want to get a clarification. Now, when you met Rick Simpson and he told you about uh, the cannabis oil, were you a grower at that time? I've been growing this plant since about the age of 14, and more, more so because I love growing plants. I, it was, I was. 
Well, for years, I used to grow them just to see how big I could get them. I never harvested them. It was to see how big of a plant I, they could get. They can become monsters. You just kind of grew it as a hobby? Yeah. That's okay. the best way to put it. Yeah, believe it or not, I grew plants, and some of them, uh, one that was actually discovered, it took three officers to hold the thing up for the picture. The plant was 16 foot tall. That's like a tree. Yeah. Guess what? They found it in August, towards the end of August. It still had a couple months growing to do. <laughs> oh, no. I need some of your tips, Darren. I've been growing for over 30 years. Now, once I met Rick and seen what it could... And actually, I've cured members of my own family. Tell us about and, that. Well, I won't say who. In some instances, there was children involved that had cancer and cured for the... You know, one of them cured for the second time. Wow. Now, uh, but back in the day when, you know, this was Rick and Matt Can there, if you were outside the Amherst area or outside of Cumberland County, you either never heard of it or wouldn't believe it. Uh, we were called all, all sorts of names from various groups out west and stuff. Basically, we were a bunch of rant-raving lunatics, didn't know what we were doing. Uh, until uh, I met this amazing woman online. I, well, I met her as an artist. I was starting a pewter company up at the time. I was buying little pieces from her. Uh, I didn't know she. I didn't even know at the time that she was a pot activist herself in her own right. But she had lung cancer. I didn't know that when I first met her, and that was Reverend Mary Thomas Spears from Bowling Green, Kentucky. When I first found out she had cancer, I was just blown away. First thing I did was mail her a copy, run from the care. Well, I guess the pot of weed down there was just <laughs> a little retarded. And geez, to me, it was well, that is just another plant. Well, like I say, long story short, she was personal friends with Jack Hare. Now, it was thanks to her, or through taking the oil, like to me, she asked me what I wanted for it. If, if it works, tell the world. <laughs> I don't think she missed too many. <laughs> <laughs> My God, it, it just spread like wildfire from there. How many people do you think you've helped, ballpark? Directly? Jeez. I don't know for sure. I guess in the thousands. So, well, I've been growing for a lot of years. If it wasn't for me, me crossing a couple, well, an international book. Take, well, I took a few risks there to cure someone special at the time. Well, anybody who's been cured of what they call the Rick Simpson oil or Phoenix Tears oil, or if you heard about it, it was pretty much because some crazy Canadian took a trip to save a yank, and it worked. If it wasn't for her, outside of the Cumberland County area, nobody would have been cured by this medicine because nobody would have heard of it. To me, that deeply they buried the reports. I think one of the things, uh, Darren, that really made this oil come to prominence was the video run from the cure. Yeah, but even that, I can't tell you how many hundreds of copies were handed out, given away. And I bet you 98% of them were never even looked at, thrown in the garbage. Yeah, that's true. It takes a while for something to catch on, doesn't it? Well, to me, what I can't understand, it's so easy to see. Name me one plant that's been more studied than the cannabis plant. There's thousands upon thousands of studies done already where THC has cured cancer in the petri dishes, the lab rats. Well, now we got the cases where it's in people and we're proven time and time again. Now, one of the things that gets me is in my younger days, like when I was my you know, mid-teens to early 20s. I was a lifeguard. Over the course of my career, I might have pulled 35 people out. 
like five when I was officially on duty, and the rest more or less just being the right situation at the right time to see somebody do something a little foolish around water. You know, don't mind doing that. To me, the same thing is here now. The school bus went into a river. You know, I dive in, grab the first two kids, haul them ashore. Dive in, grab the next two kids, haul them ashore. Now, do I get to stop because I got my bag limit? Or should I be allowed to continue? Or who, who has the right to stop me? Now, here we got a medicine we've proven time and time. Well, I got a Supreme Court judge acknowledging it as a treatment for cancer. And yet they're going to stop me from producing it and giving it to people that need it? Who's committing the crime? Well, I think the crime is the political aspect of cannabis and also what the pharmaceutical industry has done in order to pay off politicians to accept their viewpoint that the only medication that should be prescribed is uh, chemicals and chemo and radiation. Do you know, Darren, how many prescriptions the doctors wrote in the United States last year? These are prescriptions only. I'll tell for you. For what? Well, for, for anything, for, for pharmaceutical meds. They wrote 4,065,000,000 prescriptions. That's enough for every 13, for every man, woman, and child in the United States. That's money. That's what the pharmaceutical industry is out to protect, and that's what their, their bedfellows, the, far, the politicians, are willing to accept. I think it's, it's horrendous that a simple plant that helps people should be illegal, whereas pharmaceutical medications, many of which are helpful, but a lot of them kill people, and that is legal. It doesn't make sense. Well, one of the things I brought up during a discussion with the well, when I got arrested there, uh, part of your rights is you got the right to remain silent. And my reply at the time is, yes, dear, I know that, but I haven't got the ability. Uh, I started explaining her, to her about the Parker decision handed down, how the federal government had 12 months to come up with a constitutional set of valid laws regarding access to medical marijuana or to take marijuana off the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act because the blanket prohibition the blanket prohibition of cannabis violates its constitutional rights. Now, here we are 17 years later. I think it was 10, 9 or 10 or 11 cases between the two. They still haven't come up with option A. Well, that drops us back to option B, where the blanket prohibition violates our constitutional rights. Therefore, it's null and void without force or effect in law. Now, what we have is police officers coming in and making arrests and stuff. Now, they're not enforcing any written law. They're enforcing Justin Trudeau's viewpoint, as in he's told them to come out and arrest us anyway. Well, the dilemma there is that prior to Trudeau getting in, we had Harper, who jammed Bill C-51 down our throats, where a terrorism is defined as enforcing political will by might. So they're not actually officers of the law. They're armed domestic terrorists by legal definition. Now, I didn't write these definitions. I just know how to read. Now, I'm curious, as a member of the public, whose job is it to protect me from the armed domestic terrorists and bring them to justice? Well, that's a very good question. I want to get to your issue last month. Take us through the incident that occurred that resulted in your arrest. Well, I was over at my mother's house. We're next-door neighbors. I have water problems at my house. Well, I just got I got everything dug out where I can get, well, there was 27 split pipes in my house when I got out. And I got, I'm down to the last two to fix. 
Mm. Uh, unfortunately, one of them is a few feet under, about four feet underground between my well and my house. So that's the one that's been challenging to get to. Uh, I just got all that exposed anyway. But uh, like I say, I need water, so I'm over at my mother's house. When I hear the lights and sirens pulling into the yard, and I had time to type on a computer, I'm being busted or arrested and sent off to a friend who I'd explained prior to this to make it public as possible because there's a lot of people relying on this. That way they had time, you know, as much time as possible to find an alternative supply for the medicine. And he's done a great job for me. Now, I stepped out of the door and there's a nine millimeter point at my guts by this cop. Uh, there's another one in the yard with the assault rifle. I hadn't even got my glasses on. Uh, something was flashed in front of me saying something about a warrant, you know, a warrant, but I, I couldn't read nothing. And like I say, I'm not going to argue with somebody with a gu uh, gun point at my stomach. They put me in the handcuffs and tossed me in the back of the car. Uh, they kept me there for a little while, and then, well, they ended up taking me into town. Well, my, well, actually, my mother was just getting back from a funeral, and geez, for the longest while, they wouldn't let me talk to her or my brother. Uh, finally, before they were taking me away, they had allowed me a few minutes to talk to them. And, but they ended up taking me away to town before anything beyond that. So I didn't see what they'd done. But they went in and cut down the entire garden and dug it. How many plants did you have? A little over 200. Well, what I would call it my initial 200. Those are what I call my, uh, how do I put this? Plants that are going to produce at least a pound. Okay, there's, there's one plant per patient there. I usually don't count the last few, just uh, in, in case of bad weather or something, you know, I want to make sure I got that at least that many covered. Well, last year I ended up with about 50, 60 pounds. I haven't got a set of working scales. I go by treatments. I'm going to say 55 pounds anyway. I was out, totally out, before December was done. And I still have patients trying to find medicine. To me, it's like, geez, there's a drastic shortage. My problem, too, is, like I said, I got, had gotten injured last spring and just wasn't in shape, but I was really late getting started. Now, this year, the garden was beautiful. I had one that was over 10 feet wide. There were some nice-looking plants. Last year, well, most of them, well, I, I extended the garden, just made it bigger. I'm not hiding nothing. They're, uh, well, they're, know, they're well aware you're growing. Well, last year, I can remember, well, actually, it was, I was a talk of the community, because, well, the RCMP do drive-throughs and stuff, right? And how they would pass by my yard at a walking speed, some of them holding out up cell phones. And I'm out there with a the garden hose watering my garden. I'm not ashamed of nothing. Well, I only got a judgment stating work. I'm curing cancer. That's what I do. So what happened after you were put in the back of the car and the RCMP destroyed, essentially, your, your plants? I wasn't there to see that. I'm already in town. They're searching the house. You know, actually, they got one warrant, and apparently they're searching both houses, two separate residences, which to me doesn't sound quite right. Uh, well, I was told, well, actually, I'm brought before the courts, told by the judge that I, in order for me to get bail, I had to review section 51510A, uh, B, and C of the Criminal Code of Canada. And I'd have full disclosure made available to me and everything I require to make, make prepare full answer and defense. And they haul me away. I'm taken down to jail there. Uh, I'm listed as an offender. By this point, I hadn't even used offensive language yet. 
there was that little kerfuffle in the jail. They bring these trays up meal for the the unit. I think I was the oldest guy in the range, so a lot of the guys would you know let me in you know push the front of the line, courtesy thing. I'd grab my tray, walked into my cell, sat down, started eating. I got my back to the room. You know, I didn't even know nothing was going on until I heard the door lock. Look up, and geez, what's going on? What had happened when I come to the end of the handing out the trays? There were one tray short. Now, rather than just reading down to the kitchen and sending up another meal, the guard there start making these wild accusations about someone stealing a meal tray. Well, there was 30 men in the unit. There was 30. Actually, after they brought up the other meal to feed the guy, the guy that missed his meal, there was 30 trays that left. There was a miscount. But anyway, according to the report, uh, well, I got charged for uh, basically for refusing to lock up and physical force had to be used on me to put me in a cell. And that was the accusation, and I was locked in for three days. Now, finally, when it gets before the adjudicator, he's got the charge right out there and blah, blah, blah. And I I said, listen. Apparently, this is all on film. Well, just review the film. There's no, everybody else in the range is either bald, shaved, or got crew cuts type thing. I definitely don't. I kind of stick out a little bit. And he acknowledged within a couple minutes, yeah, I never left myself. So I, the charges were basically dismissed, found not guilty. What charges uh, do they have against you? Oh, right now they're uh, cultivation for the purpose of trafficking, cultivation, and there's a whole bunch of gun charges. Now, the gun charges stem around, one was a long gun they found in my mother's place. It's a 410 shotgun. It went from uh, a a second cousin to my grandfather, from my grandfather to my father. I had use of it a couple times. I was a beekeeper and having problems with raccoons around my hives. Basically equal to a 22, but a shotgun version. Back in the day, they were for training, you know, teaching kids uh, how to use guns. It still had an evidence tag where it was seized from me during arrest in 2007. I know, 2005. The evidence tag's still hanging on it. Okay, it's a family heirloom one, isn't it? Now, the handguns uh, were a collection of either reproduction or antiques. None of them actually work, and most look like they were discovered with a plow, if you know what I mean. And as a son farmer hit in the field and said, oh, look what I found. I restore metal, and my my father had a fascination from the time, you know, in my memory, of the old spaghetti westerns. He read all the Louis L'Amour, Zane Grey books. And after a stroke, if I could find one and finish it up for him, the smile it brought in his face was unbelievable and well worth the effort to make. Now, after his passing, uh, basically they were just set aside and more or less forgot about. What happens, what happens next? Uh, next, I'm going to be going to court again on the second and thank, well thank god I got the support I do like I was shocked when I walked into court and seen a bunch of people there like for years uh, any of us guys in the, any of the best original crew got busted the only ones there were the very close ones if you know what I mean and because of jobs and stuff sometimes you stand you're there in court standing alone and with the system we have here well, I'm squaring off against a federal crown prosecutor that's already admitted to being caught in the jury room twice. Yeah, that's hilarious. And, uh, oh yeah, he's also a named party in a civil suit that I'd filed a few months ago. So there's going to be a conflict of interest i got to point out to the court. And that's just the tip of the iceberg and some of the unbelievable antics down here. Uh, so, like Darren, my, Darren like do, my, you, do you believe that 
as a result of your prosecution, it may have had something to do with a civil suit against that individual? This one, yes, I believe so. Actually, I believe my last arrest and conviction uh, actually circled around the fact that there was 22, on March 31st, 2011, uh, Dean Simpson filed 22 criminal charges with the courthouse in Amherst, on the record there. Uh, they were divided between four parties. One's a federal crown prosecutor. I believe he's federal. Uh, another one was a member of the Amherst Town Police. It was a member of the RCMP named and a courtroom sheriff. Now, among three of them parties, I was named as a witness. Now, them documents were given the exact same day to the accused. Uh, even though in the Criminal Code of Canada, it states that under one of the examples of criminal contempt, the court is disclosing the identity of a witness. Uh, there was an emergency meeting decided upon ha- held that night where it was decided to arrest me. Now, I got arrested the very next day at gunpoint. There was a cop actually had a gun pointed at my head, finger on trigger, and he was physically squeezing the trigger until he heard the two voices, and he looked around, and there was a couple witnesses standing there. Now, he didn't know what to do at that point. It was another cop that come and opened the door and demanded me to step out of the car when they arrested me. So when is your next court date? Uh, the second, second of next month. Second of October. Yeah. What has this meant, your arrest and the confiscation of your plants? What has this meant to some of the patients that you help out? Sadly, I think it's a death sentence, unless they can find an alternative. But chemotherapy has a 3% success rate. We're up in the 90s, high 80s, low 90s. The ones I've lost over the years, and yeah, there's been a lot of them, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, I've only had one that lived past the first week. And usually, I say it was, more, it was more the chemotherapy poisoning and radiation poisoning they were suffering from than the cancer that killed them. Uh, the only exception to that group was one whose husband of 48 years was killed in a car accident halfway through her treatment. And she decided to join her husband. What do you think your success rate is with patients? I'd say it's over 90%. I know it's pretty high. I don't count. Uh, no. Usually... A- gets in touch with me and it's I send them the treatment okay with right. the stipulation your cancer's not totally gone by all, like for the love of God get in touch with you and I'll continue going until it's gone now once it's gone go find an alternate source for like your daily maintenance right there's legal avenues like I got friends online who help you know they get as far as how to get licenses and all that stuff now that way they can get the daily medicines from whoever wherever I don't care and unless the cancer comes back go live your life What are you going to do after this latest incident is dealt with in the courts? And if you face jail time or if you are exonerated and are freed, what's what's your next move? Start a garden. You're going to do it all again? Yeah. Because it'll be legal in Canada in July 1st of next year, 2018. If it's going to be legal, then who can stop me, number one? Right. Number, there's a number of patients I've encountered over the years. Uh, some of them call, have what I call a brown thumb. They look at a house plant dies. They just, for whatever reason, they can't grow a plant. Uh, other ones, because of where they're living or, a, or the health they're in, they can't take care and maintain a garden. It's something I've got years of experience at. And hey, for, I, hear, I dig a couple more holes in my yard. That's no big deal. 
when you mentioned the comment about the brown thumb, I looked at my thumb. <laughs> because, and I looked at Ian. Because this year I've tried to grow uh, some seeds, and uh, they were doing quite well, actually, until I went away for a weekend and forgot to water them. Any but, different mistake? Being, and, you know, it's, uh, the years of experience I have at it, to me, it's no, as I say, it's no big, it, who should be able to say how many people I'm allowed to help? And some of the, so many of them, like even here where it's, oh, you got medical access and stuff, try to find a doctor that'll sign. Some areas, that's next to impossible, even though there's actually the physical need for it. Well, you know, I find it rather strange politically uh, that in Canada, when we are going to legalize cannabis in 2018, that the police are still out busting growers, they're uh, busting uh, dispensaries all across the country. It just it confounds me because I think, why the hell are we doing that if in nine, eight or nine months from now, it's going to be legal? There was a prosecutor called, had Rick in an office one time, and they acknowledged to him that, yes, we know it cures cancer, but we're waiting for the appropriate people to bring the news forward. The thought that crossed my mind is, how many, yes, but how many people do you think have to die between now and then? It has nothing to do with time. It's a lot. There was over 80,000 Canadians died last year of cancer here. 80,000. How many bodies is required for a valid charge of genocide? Well, we know, we know, Darren, that it's all about money. That's all this is. It's about money and influence and influence peddling, well, and there's nothing, nothing more than that. Well, the thing is, I've never been into it for the money. If I, had, if I was into it for this for the money... I wouldn't be living in a single white trailer made back in seventies. I'm not saying that, that that you're in it for the money. I'm saying the pharmaceutical industry's in it for oh, the money. Damn. Sure, let them get it for the money. They can charge whatever they want for the treatments, but give the patient the option and informed choice as to which way they want to go. Do you want to go with Plan A, which costs eighty to one hundred and twenty thousand a month with a three percent success rate, or do you want to go with Plan B, where it's anywhere from the cost of your solvent if you're doing it all yourself in a plant or two? or a thing on your abilities, to whatever it costs for a pound of weed in your area. There's your actual physical cost to cure a patient. Some cancers, like skin cancer, for example, I've seen that cured a number of times in the past already with less than a gram of oil as a topical treatment. Yeah, I heard an interview that you did. I think it's the documentary they were making about you in which you indicated that you gave someone uh, the cannabis oil for their skin cancer, and in four days it was gone. Yeah, actually, I've done that uh, three other, three more times in the past two years. Well, since I got out of jail here, prison the last time. It's one of the easy ones to be. It's caught early. It's with less than a week. It's gone. Shouldn't it be up to you? As a let's say, if you, God forbid, if you ever come down with skin cancer, shouldn't it be up to you whether you want to come to someone like me and get it, you know, free you know, for that? Jeez, yeah, there it is. Or you can go through the conventional surgery, have pieces of you cut out. You can go get yourself radiated. What's the safe daily recommended dose of radiation? Or you can go for chemo, a derivative of mustard gas, a chemical compound designed by the Germans during the First World War to kill people. And it worked really good for what it was designed for, and still does. Darren, anything uh, you'd like to tell listeners in conclusion? Yeah. I want to thank Chris Harrigan, uh, Dan Quinn from uh, Newfoundland Anonymous for helping get the word of my arrest out. Dan Quinn, who's that? Oh, uh, Brandon, sorry. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon nice. Uh, like I said, I'm having a few problems here. But... Not Brandon, Brandon. 
Yeah, and the, the friends that showed up is just for moral support. Uh, without them, and like the crowd's growing by the sounds of it. Uh, without the people, I want to. I'm going to put forward uh, a defense in court and make like, a few statements. That personally, if I'm in there in a courtroom by myself, with just the crown prosecutor, the police, and the judge, they're going to give me a nice padded room, nice soft padded room, a hug me jacket, and a box of crayons to play with for life, and put me full of thorazine. But with enough witnesses there that can understand what I'm saying, it's going to get rather interesting and be an awesome show. No. Darren, we appreciate you, your time. Thanks very much for doing this, and all the best in the future. And look, if, it, if this news helps one person find out about one more person find out about this cure and save one more life, it's well worth it. Greatly appreciate you giving me a chance to tell a few more people about this marvelous medicine. It's just unbelievable the success rate. Absolutely. We thank you. Darren, thank you so much. Have a good day, people. Just a reminder to listeners, if you'd like to tell your story about the medical use of cannabis, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. As you can imagine, when you do an interview a day, five days a week, we're always looking for people to talk to about the use of cannabis and how it's helped them. And if you'd like to help us at Cannabis Health Radio... Then go to our webpage, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make a donation, either a one-time donation or a monthly donation to help us out, so we can continue bringing these stories to you. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.